right, we met here for the purpose of worship, and certainly worship consists of a lot of things, not the least of which is prayer. So uh, let's go to the Lord in silent prayer. You think about uh, what you need uh, to ask, and I would recommend you keep the United States of America and our president in your prayers. So let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Alright, now for announcements, I will mention the fact that at the end of the service, there's one of these for each family. Uh, feel free to get you one and take it with you. That's a gift from Tommy and I uh, to you in celebration of Christmas and, uh, of course, our, our Lord's birth. So let's uh, uh, also remember prayer meeting. And that'll be at uh, 6.30 on Wednesday. And then at 7 o'clock, we'll continue our Bible study in the book of John. So feel free to join us if you so choose. All right, now with reference to giving, I'm going to turn the chart on, which we have, of course, seen before. But it does illustrate what uh, giving should be in a New Testament church. Those two particular chapters, 2 Corinthians 8 and 2 Corinthians 9, describe New Testament giving. So as you can see, as verse 12 says in the 8th chapter of 2 Corinthians, if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has and not what according to what he doesn't have. So I interpret that to mean that you can give in the privacy of your mind whether or not you've been blessed or not. Because certainly God does not always bless you. Sometimes he tests you and sometimes, uh, uh, of course, it's for discipline. But in any case, it's none of our business. But you can give in the privacy of your mind without having anything to give. But in the event you do have something to give, then you have another little test there, Second Corinthians 9, 7. Can you be a cheerful giver? Every man according as he purposed in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly 
or of necessity because God loves a cheerful giver. So if you can't be a cheerful giver, then you should keep uh, your gift. So that's basically what we find in uh, the, the New Testament. Uh, and I would stress that giving is an aspect of worship just as much as the prayer which we just have. And certainly as a bit of singing that we will have. And uh, the, in terms of the music program. And then we, of course, have the, the Bible study. So just as much, a uh, again, an, an act of worship. So with that said, I'm going to ask that we go to the Lord in silent prayer. And you think about uh, giving and you exercise your protocol as the case may be. And then I will close by asking again God's blessing on the gift and the giver. So Tommy, if you would, please. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of being able to live in this great country of ours and worship. Thank you for the privilege of giving. And I would ask a very special blessing upon both the gift and the giver. For I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I'm going to put a chart on the board. A most important chart, given the fact that we're looking at the doctrine of dispensations. And this morning we're going to be in uh, the part three of the doctrine of dispensations. You remember last week, <coughs> excuse me, we completed uh, part two of the doctrine. And then when time expired, we had just completed the study of the church age very briefly, uh, indicating... Uh, the church age, of course, where we are today, and we are often teaching out of the scriptures that relate to the church age, and it is our unique age, so I thought we'd just uh, hit it, uh, hit the high spots, if you will, last week, which we did, and now we're ready to go to the tribulation, which is the first of three eschatological ages, that is to say the tribulation, the millennium. Uh, and then we'll have a little bit on the the uh, New Jerusalem. And then we'll just touch on the eternity future because we have so little on the eternity future as to what heaven's going to be like. And uh, we do know where uh, certain things will be, like the New Jerusalem. We'll just move over from the millennium uh, into eternity future. All right, I did provide for you again the dispensation chart certainly appropriate, and uh, and I had uh, listed for you there certain circuit dates as they best can be determined for events like the flood 5,000, Avram 2,000, and uh, Moses 1450, 
Christ 4 B.C. and then A.D. 32 A.D. So all that's in in your lesson plan as well as the dispensation chart. So I want to continue a brief review and then begin new material on page 3. All right, first of all, the four unconditional covenants, the Abrahamic, which we looked at Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, Galatians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. Again, I'm going to do that in a minute. I'm sorry. I am, I'm running way ahead of myself and, uh, and, and I'm, I could blame it on old days, but I'm not that old. But, uh, uh, we'll get back to four unconditional covenants in a moment. So take your finger, hold it right there on the four unconditional covenants, and we're going to have a, a, a duet, I think. Number nine, we're going to open that box of chocolates and see what we get. Please. All right, now take your finger off of where we were 
And uh, we're going to start with the four unconditional covenants and uh, see what we have. Speaking of a box of chocolates. All right, we looked at Genesis 12, 1 through 3, Galatians 3, 7 through 9, and verse 29, and Romans 4, 11. Then we look at the Palestinian covenant, Genesis 15, 18 through 21, Ezekiel 20, verses 33 through 35, and 42 through 44. And then we looked at the Davidic covenant, 2 Samuel 7, 10, Ezekiel 37, 24 through 26, and the new covenant. So we looked at Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. Now we are ready for continuation of our study of the the church age, which was very brief. The age of the church is taught by, or should be, by pastor teachers each and every Sunday. Uh, And we can divide that age into two segments. That is to say, the pre-canon, and then the canon was completed and distributed. Then we have the post-canon period of the church age. So as an example, we have studied over a 40-year period in this church most of the epistles to the church. And uh, given this fact, again, I thought it was just best to simply summarize a few basic truths which we did. And most of these truths have been, again, discovered and taught. So now let's move on to a study of the tribulation as the first of the two eschatological ages. Alright, the introduction, I read last week, in fact, Matthew 24, 21 through 22, so let me do it again for, as we continue for a brief review on uh, the first portion of this page. It says, For then shall be great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be, and except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Again, Matthew 24, 21 through 22. And I'll turn the chart back on just so you can again see the tribulation period. As you know, one of these days the rapture will occur and we will meet the Lord in the air, preceded, of course, by those who have preceded us in death first. And we'll meet uh, there in the air and then we'll be with the Lord And the world will experience a tribulation like as we just read never before. So how short shall the tribulation be and when will it occur? Well, it will take place, as you know, seven years after the rapture of the church. It will begin and go on for a seven-year period. Uh, It is divided uh, scripturally into two two periods. You have uh, three and a half years. And then you have the middle of the tribulation, and you have three and a half years. And there's a difference there uh, in terms of what is happening on the earth. So the first uh, three and a half years, it's sometimes called uh, Satan's utopia, uh, and uh, where he is able to get along somewhat well, but he has two witnesses, and they are described in the 11th chapter of the the book of Revelation, and that, of course, is Noah, uh, excuse me, Jonah, and uh, uh, we have, uh, and of course, I, Elijah, and uh, 
some will argue one way or the other, but it's my, my view that we will certainly see a lot of miracles there, similar to the miracles that those folks were when they were on the earth. Elijah and Moses in particular, that's my vote, that those will be the names of the two witnesses on the earth. And they will give the Antichrist a lot of problems. Uh, and uh, eventually, as you know, he will have them executed and they will uh, get the last laugh, if you will, because uh, everyone is celebrating because these two are dead. Now the Antichrist will have full sway and will be able to you know, direct his efforts on to pr- improving the earth and uh, all that is therein. And then all of a sudden uh, they think, you know, everybody that's there celebrating, actually exchanging gifts with one another like it was Christmas. Uh, then uh, we'll see them rise up and go to be with the Lord. Then there'll be an earthquake and 7,000 people will die as a result of the Lord uh, punishing the city of Jerusalem. And then we'll go into the Great Tribulation where things will get a lot worse. But more, to, more of that as we go along. Alright, so uh, the prophecy actually should not come as a shock to the disciples as in the Old Testament they have many references of a great traumatic period of time consisting of two, three, and one half year periods uh, also called 1,260 days or 42 months or a time and a time and a half times. But there is definitely a division. Uh, you can look at a time of Jacob's distress is always said to be Jacob, not the church. It's not a time for the church. The church will be raptured. Doesn't mean there won't be Gentile believers in the tribulation. There will be Jewish believers. There will be Gentile believers. It will be so many that you can't count the number of nations. I mean, count the names of the nations from which they come. Uh, much less, you know, the, the people. So uh, that's kind of like a misconception that goes around. Oh, there'll be no believers in the tribulation. Well, that's not true. And uh, we know that as a fact from Scripture as we have earlier studied. But we can see that time in Ezekiel 20, 34 through 38, Jeremiah 30, verses 4 through 7, 34, and 37 verses also, then 22, verses 19 through 22. Now, in a vision which we've been studying, by the way, on Wednesday night, Daniel was told of a 70-week period, literally 77s, that God would give the Jews to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to anoint the most holy place. And that would, of course, would be when the Christ comes back himself. Now, we're going to have a verse 24, uh, which is with comments in italics, uh, it says 77, which is really 490 years, are decreed for your people, that would be Israel, and your holy city, that would be Jerusalem, to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy, a reference to Christ at his second advent. And now we're ready for new material. We covered that verse last week. Now we're going to look at verse 25, 26, and 27. These are quite famous verses as they relate to 
the prediction of what would happen. You remember in chapter uh, 9, uh, we had uh, verse 1, reading through verse 9 as I recall. We have a prayer on the part of Daniel who knows that the time is just about up. In other words, he saw where Jeremiah said it's going to be 70 years you're going to be in the, in the Babylonian captivity. Uh, and uh, time was almost there. It was only three, let's say three years uh, from the 70 years based, based primarily on the 606 first uh, deportation. So he wants to know from God, when are we going to get to go back to the land? And uh, uh, the uh, answer comes from Gabriel who visits uh, Daniel and tells him about what's going to happen. He starts with verse 24, which we just finished. Now he's going to verse 25. So I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to have a few, as you can see there, parentheses in italics uh, to explain uh, what is meant here. So let's go now with verse 25. It says, Know and understand this, answering Daniel's prayer, from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. That would be the first of Nisan, which is can be two different months because they use the lunar calendar, but it could be March perhaps. 445 B.C. until the Anointed One, the ruler comes, and that would be on the first Palm Sunday. There will be seven sevens, that's 49 years, and 62 sevens, that's 434 years. You add the two together, and you get the 483, or the 173,880 days from that first uh, pronouncement, and only pronouncement to rebuild the entire city until Christ returns at the first Palm Sunday. So it, that's the city of Jerusalem, will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. You remember Nehemiah's trouble as he had all the workers on the wall working and building the moat around it, etc., while they carried a sword in their by their side. And uh, it was a, a, a time of, again, tribulation because many of the tribes around them did not want them back there. And many of them were Jewish tribes. And they just thought, well, they'll just cause trouble when they get back. But uh, not so. All right, now let's go to verse 26. After the 62 sevens again, the 434 years that followed the 49 years it took to rebuild the city, the anointed one, Christ, will be cut off. In other words, crucified, and will have nothing. The people of the ruler, the Romans, will come like a flood. That's 70 A.D. War will continue until the end. In other words, you'll always have wars and rumors of war with you until the Lord comes back at His second advent. And desolations have been decreed. That would be the church age. Alright, the best work, by the way, of this is in, uh, or by Lewis Perry Chafer, uh, who has uh, very uh, adroitly, if you will, uh, and perfectly translated and taught. Now let's go to verse 27. And all this is in your doctrine of 70th week, by the way, which is on the internet under Pastor Merritt's study books. Alright, he, the Satan indwelt Antichrist, will confirm a covenant with many for one seven, that is to say, in the tribulation. Now in the middle of the seven, in the middle of the tribulation, three and one half years into that tribulation, he, 
the Antichrist will put an end to sacrifice and offering. That's old Antiochus Epiphanes. We've been studying about him at the Wednesday night service. And on a wing of the temple uh, will set up an abomination that causes desolation. That is to say, a statue inside the temple itself. And until the end that is decreed is poured out on him, that is the demise of Satan, the Satan indwelt Antichrist, For then shall be great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Again, the verse that we read over on page 3, Matthew 24, 21 through 22. So super page 3, the same verse. Now we're ready for background information. Uh, the seven years are often described as 42 months, 1,260 days, or a time and a time and a half time. The events occurring in the tribulation will be the subject of this doctrine. So again, welcome to events future. Alright, the prophecy should not have come as a shock to the disciples. The Old Testament contained many reference, or references, plural, to this future time. Jeremiah 30 verses 4 through 7 speaks of a time of Jacob's trouble. Not the church, but Jacob's, Israel. And compares it to a woman in childbirth. And I'm going to read. So Ezekiel 24, 38 uh, speaks of the tribulation. Actually just mentioning it here. I'm not going to go ahead and read those particular verses. Uh, but it's referred to as Israel passing under the rod. In other words, they will be whipped up on so that they will be ready for the millennium when Christ returns at the second advent to end the tribulation period. So the tribulation is also represented as God's melting pot where Israel will be refined. And again, that's according to Ezekiel 22, verse 19 through 22. Now, I have provided a chart for you there, which you have seen before, I know, but uh, it's the 70 weeks of Daniel, and that is a chart out of one of Chuck Missler's books, uh, which shows us that there is one time where Israel is told to uh, rebuild the city. They've been told to rebuild the temple by Zechariah in 520 or so, but this is uh, later than that, where they are actually told by uh, King Artaxerxes Lagomanus had to rebuild the entire city. And that was done one time, so it gives us a date to start. Since it's only been one time in history that they have ever been told to do that. And that's roughly, again, the month of Nisan 14, again, 445 B.C. And the prophecy is fulfilled uh, when you go 173,880 days forward or what they call in Scripture often, 69 weeks. You come to the Messiah King when he entered the city and uh, uh, to present his kingdom to Israel. And of course that was the triumphal mem- entry and uh, the Jews rejected him. Now you have a question mark for an interval because that's the time of the church age. We don't know how long the church age is going to last. Uh, the, the trumpet could sound and and the dead in Christ should rise first, and we who are alive and remain should to be caught up to be with them. Could happen before I finish speaking. 
And of course, that would be what we call the rapture of the church. And we'll see more of that a little later. Uh, and that uh, would begin the, the 70th week, which is the seven years God owes the Jew. This is one of the Old Testament prophecies of the tribulation period. And uh, in the middle of it, the abomination of desolation occurs. We've already read about that in uh, the ninth chapter again of, of Daniel. And that is also mentioned by Matthew. And that's where we have the the uh, Antichrist is laid out in the temple. And the false prophet is there to get everybody to celebrate. And they have a big time, big religious ceremony. And then while he's, he is, I guess you could say, preaching, uh, that's when the, the, the Antichrist has died of a head wound, you'll remember. And I mentioned you a book last week. And that is the, uh, uh, by Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins, uh, left behind. It's a series of books. But the first three are just so good. They cover this in, in like in a historical novel format. And uh, uh, that in the middle of that tribulation, the Antichrist is laid out. He's been somehow killed with a head wound. And uh, he's laying there and everybody says he's dead. Then all of a sudden he raises up. And that's the abomination of the desolation mentioned by Matthew. And... Uh, uh, if you're there, you better get out of there because the second half of that tribulation is about to begin, which will be a terrible, terrible time. And they are told to go south, if you will, actually told to go to the mountains, scripturally. And we suspect it's south of Jerusalem somewhere. Uh, and await, of course, the second advent of Christ. So the question is, are you ready? Well, they get ready. How do you get ready? Well, you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and that's how you get ready. And of course, if you're out there listening to me now on the podcast or maybe on the internet and you haven't believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, well, do it now. I won't mind if you interrupt me with a little silent prayer. But uh, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. So now let's talk about, I know, important that people be ready. So we should not be overly concerned, however, about the timing. And there's so many people who get all wrapped up in the timing. And of course, there is no event, or there are no events of eschatology as far as the church is concerned. In fact, Christ Himself said the signs are for the Jew, not for the, for the Gentile. So when that day and hour may take place, we cannot tell as a, Scripture says, For the Lord Himself shall descend from the heavens with a shout and the voice of the archangel, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and the trumpet of God shall sound, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we, and I would emphasize we, Paul thought the, the event could occur during his lifetime. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet them in the clouds, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Therefore comfort ye one another with these words. So remember his exhortation. Comfort ye one another with these words. And of course, what were those words? Let me read it. I've quoted it, but sometimes I get a little mixed up and put my own version in there, but we'll stick with what's written here. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you 
by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain, that's how we know the rapture is imminent and there are no signs. Paul thought he could have, it could happen during his time. Then we who are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep, those that have preceded us in death. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So as we earlier studied, Matthew provided far more details than uh, his fellow gospel writer Mark. Paul also enlists uh, in less detail explained events and imminence of the coming of uh, the tribulation again in 4.16 and 4.17 and I'll not read that again but I will read you 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 50 through 53 now this I say brethren that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God neither doth corruption inherit incorruption behold I show you a mystery we shall not all sleep, but we shall be all be changed, whether we proceed the, uh, and die before the rapture or we are here when the rapture takes place. We're going to be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on <coughs> excuse me, immortality. <coughs> Pardon me. Gotta get my cough drop, cough drop here. Alright, now then. Grace before judgment. Throughout the tribulation, the gospel will be proclaimed as never before in history. The world will be evangelized by three groups. In other words, it'd be senseless for them to evangelize if there were no believers, uh, in the tribulation, which, uh, Someone once told me, oh no, there won't be any believers there. And I said, why do you believe that? Standard Baptist theology. And I thought, well, not the Baptist church I went to when I was a Baptist. But the point being, there are all kinds of ideas about the tribulation and when it will happen and so forth. And the armies are here and the armies are there. And people make a a lot of money getting on television and trying to get everybody scared because here's the army there, here's the army there. Well, I can remember... When I was very active in Campus Crusade on their board of directors, there was something going throughout the the uh, <clears throat> the area, is to say, the, through the Campus Crusade cadres, uh, that uh, let's see who was it? Uh, Mussolini was the Antichrist, and Hitler was the you know Hitler was the Antichrist. Mussolini was the false prophet, and then when Jack Kennedy got shot in the head. Everybody said, well, there it is. Rapture's about to happen. Onassis, the Greeks, got him out there on the boat with his wife, former wife, and uh, uh, it's going to happen, you know. Uh, they make up all kinds of stuff. They get all excited and go uh, off on the wrong foot, so to speak, because they don't show up when Bible doctrine is taught because they don't want it. When you want it, you'll get it, and when you don't, you won't. All right, so throughout the tribulation, the gospel will be proclaimed. Uh, And how is it going to be proclaimed? Miraculously. How is it proclaimed today? Miraculously. The Holy Spirit is out there right now working. 
getting people to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Just think about how many commercials you've seen during this time of the coronavirus. Uh, time after time after time on TV. Somebody gets up there and says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Right now, wherever you are, you know. On and on and on. So the gospel is out there. It's working. Just as I'm speaking now. So our job is to pray. Pray for the gospel. Uh, pray for the good news of Christ. That he died on the cross. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And all it takes, again, is faith alone in Christ alone. So let's see what's going to happen during the tribulation. I mean, we are <clears throat> active today. We have many, many groups who are active and working uh, for the Lord, both inside the church and outside the church. Uh, and we're basically Gentiles who are doing it. Very few Jews are alongside with us uh, telling people about the Lord Jesus because this is not their time. But their time is coming, and that will be during the tribulation, at time of Jacob's trouble. And they are going to show us, Gentiles, what real evangelism is like, because the Jews are so talented in every way. And they will be on fire for Jesus during the tribulation period. And of course, it'll all start. Why and how? Because same way, Holy Spirit, showing people to, you know, you need Christ as your Savior. And uh, there just happen to be people who are chosen to be in the tribulation at that time as a Jew to get the word out. Because God has a program and God has a plan. I could turn that chart back on, but I don't want to leave this microphone. And uh, the point being, uh, everything on that chart is going to happen. And people have all been chosen. You've been chosen to be right here today. No doubt about it. You wouldn't be here if God hadn't chosen you in eternity past to be right here today. You know, and it's the same. Uh, we all have a sense of destiny. Remember the 10 problem solving devices, which I've covered here. And the one in the middle, you remember, is sense of destiny. You have a sense of destiny. I have a sense of destiny. So uh, right where you are is your destiny for now. All right, now let's go on with, first of all, 144,000 Jewish evangelists, uh, saved Jewish evangelists, after the rapture of the church, will be out there witnessing for the Lord Jesus Christ. Not to say now that there won't be also some Gentiles who are witnessing for the Lord Jesus Christ. But uh, the Jews will show us how it is done. So 144,000. Notice Revelation 7 verse 4. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed a hundred and forty-four thousand of all the tribes of the children of Israel. And then we have two special witnesses. I've mentioned them already. Moses and Elijah. And uh, they will be there. I'm going to read you beginning now in verse 3. And I will give power to my two witnesses. This is in the first half of the tribulation. And they will prophesy for 1,260 days, that's three and a half years, using the Jewish calendar, and they'll be clothed in sackcloth. Alright, these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that uh, stand before the Lord of the earth. Then verse 5, if anyone tries to harm them, 
Fire comes down from their mouths and devours their enemies. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. These men have power to shut up the sky so that it will not rain during the time they are prophesying. And they have power to turn the waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. Notice how similar that is to how those guys operated during the Old Testament days and the things that they did. Uh, particularly in, in the case of Elijah. And we have the promise of Elijah coming, of course, in the last, actually the last two verses mention uh, him coming back before the Lord Jesus can come back. And uh, they are able to exist and to function even with the Antichrist in charge of the world. Uh, and uh, as you can see, they have their own defense, you know, flames of fire. But then God withdraws that in order that for his purpose, that they will be killed and they will be laying in state, if you will, or lying in state. And uh, everyone will celebrate, as I noted earlier. And uh, then all of a sudden they'll raise up and they'll hear God speak. And uh, this will be quite an exciting time in the city of Jerusalem. And it'll be quite a witness as they watch them go on up into heaven. And then after they get up there, then they have this terrible trauma where the earthquake occurs and 7,000 people die in that city at that time. And then it gets worse after that because you have Satan's failed utopia, first three and one half years. Then you have the next three and a half years, which, of course, is called the Great Tribulation. And you'll see that on various charts that we have just to put a name by each one. I don't think that's in Scripture anywhere, but the point is... It's used to describe what's going on. So the 144,000 Jewish evangelists. All right, then we have angels uh, in chapter 14, verses 6 and 7. So then I saw another angel flying in the midair. That's a reference to other angels that have been said, like in uh, Revelation 8, verse 13, uh, which is some have called the bird there as an angel, and some have called it a buzzard, and uh, I'll get to it in just a minute, but let's stick with what we've got right now, which is Revelation 14, 6 and 7. It says, Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every tribe, I'm sorry, nation, tribe, language, and people, said in a loud voice, Fear God. And give him glory, because the hour of this judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. So you can just imagine that. First of all, you got all these Jews running around witnessing for Jesus, uh, the, the 144,000 Jewish evangelists. And then in addition to that, you have uh, the angels flying around witnessing. So uh, what greater evangelical effort could you imagine in your mind? And uh, in addition to that, I'm just going to read you Revelation 8.13. I didn't put it in your, your plan. I did put it in the one that's going out on the Internet and the podcast um, because it's kind of out of sequence, as are many scriptures from time to time, as we learned in Daniel uh, last Wednesday night service where you had to jump over a whole chapter to gain some continuity. But um, that's neither here nor there. You can pick that up, by the way, on the podcast or the Internet and See what we studied. But anyway, Revelation 8.13 says, And be, 
I beheld and heard an, an eagle, excuse me. Actually, it's A-E-T-O-S in the Greek. And it means a flesh-eating bird. An eagle, by the way, is a flesh-eating bird. Uh, so, flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels, angelos there, which are yet to sound. So you have a lot of activity going on in the tribulation in terms of phenomenal uh, witnessing. All right, now let's go to the subject, the unholy trinity. There are many passages that describe the maneuvers of the various kings of the tribulation. This passage explains the evil force, as we will get to, that motivates them. The un, again, unholy trinity. So the three unclean spirits or demons to whom Satan delegates the responsibility of indwelling world leaders, world leaders and their advisors in order to influence them to execute Satan's will. Notice Revelation 16. We'll look at verse 13 and 14. It says, And I saw three unclean spirits, like frogs, come up out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast. That's Satan, of course, and the beast himself. And out of the mouth of the false prophet. So you have out of Satan's mouth, out of Antichrist's mouth, and then out of the false prophet's mouth. And for they are the spirits of devils, working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. So there has to be an attempt to kill, well, first of all, to eliminate Israel. So uh, we need armies there. So you have a way to do that. Well, these spirits come out of these frog-like creatures, and they go and they go and talk to all the world's leaders. And by the way, we know from studying Daniel that uh, every world leader has a demon on his shoulder. So he doesn't have a... uh, He has a very tough job because he's fighting not only the idiots who are in the nation, but in addition to that, he's fighting demons on his shoulder. Don't do that. Don't do that. Send our boys out to be crucified. Send our boys out to be shot. Send our, send our boys out to, you know, fight an endless war, etc., 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 etc. And uh, all manner of other things, you know. Socialism is good. Communism is good. You know, capitalism is bad. Uh, the demons are just on the shoulders of every world leader. And he has to fight it. Uh, the world leader does. Uh, fight it. And listen again instead to the four divine institutions and the four unconditional covenants, which we've studied, of course. All right, so they go about and they're on the shoulders of all the people who come. And I got you a chart there in your lesson plan. Uh, so the three kings of the north, west, south, and east will one day arrive in the valley of death to destroy first Israel and then defeat Jesus Christ when he returns at his second advent. Now Gabriel had earlier brought a warning to Daniel about these events and what's going to happen. So we have then the kings of the north, that would be those who are up there where Russia is today, maybe just south of Russia in the southern part of Russia. 
And uh, they're going to actually start everything. They're going to make a move on the Holy Land. Uh, and then they're going to sweep down and go into the land of Egypt. And then all of a sudden they hear of the king of the West coming across the Mediterranean. That would be from Italy, from Rome. And the Antichrist's forces, a naval force. And uh, then we have a pan-Arabic block that's moving up from the south. Then you have the kings from the east. That's that huge oriental army that's mentioned in the scripture. Uh, and they're all going to arrive. And remember, they have two goals. One is to to destroy Israel. And that's why they, when they get and arrive, there's going to be some sort of uh, political move on the part of the Antichrist. You must be quite wise to convince all these people that, hey, we're here for two reasons. One, we got to get rid of Israel, so I'm going to send the force down to Jerusalem and let them uh, destroy Israel. And, of course, that's where those who are fighting on Israel's side, the nation Israel, they've all retreated. And, in fact, they finally retreat inside the temple. And then the Bible tells us, and you can read all about that, and Jerry Jenkins and Tim LaHaye talk about the Bible teacher inside the city who teaches them eschatology, the things I'm teaching, for example. They say, all right, now here, here's what's going to happen, boys. I know you're all here and you're all scared because the armies of the world are up there and they're sending a force down here to destroy us. And uh, we're hardly, you know, we hardly left anything at all here to fight with. You know, we're out of ammunition <laughs> or whatever. And, uh, uh, but listen to me. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to be out there in your fighting hole. That's what the Marines call it. They don't call it a foxhole. The Marines call it a fighting hole. So we're out there in our fighting hole and we're waiting, you know, and all of a sudden there's going to be this darkness like you wouldn't believe. It's going to be so dark you could light a match and you and you'd bring it up to your nose and you wouldn't know it was there until it burns your nose. You know, it's going to be that dark. That's a good sign. Don't be terrified. That's a great sign because after that, 24 hours later, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come back and save you. So indeed, that's what happens. And uh, they have this wonderful time. And then there's that great earthquake where his foot touches down and it opens at the back of the city and they get out. And then there's numerous Jews who are dispatched to go out into the battlefield where they find a, a horrible condition because all the armies of the world have turned to nothing. Their bones have just collapsed. You know, their tongues have dried up as the scriptures just decry, if you will. And they're able to get their gold and their silver and their guns and so forth. Uh, and uh, they're very happy because uh, Jesus is there. And then Jesus sets up his kingdom on earth. But first he has to clean up everything because it's going to be carnage like you wouldn't believe. Just think about all the armies of the world are there and they're all dead and they're lying out there. And all you see is a bunch of medals and a soldier suit, you know. And uh, it's, you know, it's terrible. So what happens? Well you got to call all the flesh-eating birds in the world together. And here comes all of the flesh-eating birds from all over the world, and they start eating, 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 generals, carpets, privates, you know, etc. Uh, and uh, clean it up, because the Lord's going to set up His kingdom. And we don't know how long that takes, by the way. But then He'll have His thousand-year reign on earth called the millennium, which we will get to. All right, let me read you Daniel 10, verse 13 and 14. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me. This is interesting note here. I'm just throwing it in. 
to show you how there's a demon on the shoulder of every world leader. There was Gabriel was sent by God to give all this information to Daniel as soon as he prayed. But he couldn't get there. What happened? There was a demon on the shoulder of the Persian king. And uh, he resisted me 21 days. And then he had to call Michael, the archangel, Israel's angel. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. So he was coming with the message. He was coming with the message for, for uh, Daniel. Uh, but he couldn't get there. But old Michael got him there. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future. For the vision concerns a time yet to come. Alright, now let's go on point four. During the church age, Satan, the power on earth, is so restrained by the ministry of God the Holy Spirit that men often forget the power and existence of demons. However, during the tribulation, Satan will be free to wreak havoc without restraint. Now, why is that? Because the restraint is removed. What is the restraint? The restraint is the Holy Spirit that resides in each and every one of us. So when the rapture occurs, there goes the Holy Spirit. Because he's going to operate in the tribulation just like he operated in the Old Testament. He came upon certain people and he left certain people. He can't leave you. When you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you get the indwelling and he never leaves. No, 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 we're unique. And ain't that great? Ain't that great? And, uh, but remember David, what did David say? Lord, don't take thy spirit from me because I did this and because I did that. Well, that's because it often came on people and left. Came on people to do a certain thing, like the people who worked in the temple when they were building stuff. Those who were making that wonderful curtain in there and they were like a, uh, Carolina's mother. And wonderful, wonderful seamstress, you know, to make that wonderful, uh, veil, if you will, which in the front of the temple and divided the holy place from the holy of holies. Alright. Alright, so during the church age, Satan's power on earth is so restrained by the ministry of God the Holy Spirit. You can find that all, by the way. And again, Second Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 1 through 10 roughly. It'll tell you about that. So that's a wonderful set of verses about eschatology in the New Testament. Wonderful. I think it goes through verse 12 actually. But we've studied that before. we studied the book of Second Thessalonians. Alright, the first member of this nefarious trio is the dragon. Or Satan himself. The tribulation as in the Garden of Eden. As in the Garden of Eden. Uh, in the tribulation. Satan will direct worship away from God and toward himself. His obsession has ever been to be like the Most High and to be worshipped as God. Alright, let me read you Isaiah 14, verse 13 and 14. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the Mount of Assembly on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. <clears throat> I will make myself like the Most High. In other words, I'm going to be like God. I'm coming to planet Earth. He actually tells us where to go, according to the 48th Psalm, as I recall. Uh, he's going to the dark side of Mount Moriah. That's why we have a lot of activity here on planet Earth. And don't think that, the, that Satan cannot make it 
images in the sky that we know what they are. Ooh, what was that? I just saw that, you know. He can do that so easy and he's going to have to have an explanation as to what happened to you at the rapture. And that would be really good explanation. Well, the aliens from out of space came and got us, you know. Oh, man. And he can make those kinds of things go like you wouldn't believe. He can make them in the sky today. He can make them in the sky tomorrow. He can make them fly fast. He can make them come to earth and leave and do all sorts of crazy things. He is powerful, people. Don't think he's not. You know, he is very, very powerful. So believe what you have in the scripture and forget all that baloney that they put on TV and uh, internet, et cetera, et cetera, ad nauseum. Not all of it, of course. Some of it's pretty darn good and interesting. All right, now let's go on. So while God has permitted Satan to become the ruler of this world, this has never satisfied his insatiable power lust to be like the Most High. John 12, verse 3, 1 and 3, 2. In other words, 31 32. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world has been driven out. But when I am lifted up from the earth, he will draw all men to himself. So again, John 12, 31. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. And of course, being, if you people will accept me, I'll set up my kingdom. Point being, they didn't accept him. So we have the church age, and we have the tribulation, and we have the millennium, and we have the new Jerusalem, and we have the, again, eternity future. So when the devil took Christ, whom we, whom he knew to be God, to a high mountain, and showed him the kingdom of the world, he said, All things will I give you, if you will fall down and worship me. And of course, he didn't. So again, Matthew 4, 8 and 9, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. That's one of four specifics that were there, but he was on, he was in trouble for 40 days and 40 nights on the earth. And I'm sure there were so many other events that tempted him so, which he did not give in to. So the culmination of Satan's attempts to be worshipped as God is revealed by the power he gives the man of lawlessness. It is written that the king of the west, as Satan's man, takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. And of course we studied that on Wednesday night. We actually began that study as we looked at, of course, the Seleucid kings, particularly Antiochus Epiphanes, and uh, his kingdom as he got in, uh, in several wars with the Ptolemies, and he won out. And then finally, Israel had enough, and the Maccabeans took him on with the guerrilla warfare and won the battle. And they got to be a nation for a very short time, but they couldn't handle it. Uh, Israel couldn't. And Pompey had to come down and rescue them for Rome. All right, the seed of rebellion planted in the garden will bear bitter fruit. For in the tribulation, both Satan and the beast are worshipped instead of God. The 13th chapter of the book of Revelation describes how the Antichrist and the false prophet uh, have certain characteristics. That's a description of, first of all, the Antichrist and then the false prophet or vice versa. You find them described there in great amount of detail. The 13th chapter of the book of the Revelation. And, of course, we have... Um, study the book of the Revelation actually twice over a 40 year period 
and uh, it's on the internet. Uh, you can go there and see Revelation, actually on the, the first page. And uh, you go there and you click on it, then you'll have a list of the chapters. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, all the way to 22. And you'll have lessons, not just the Scripture. Lessons and the Scriptures. So, uh, so much for that, and we're going to stop right there. We'll pick up with 4.1.5, talking about the pernicious innuendo of the garden until this very hour. All right, uh, let's uh, dedicate the closing moments of the service to anyone who may be without Christ, without hope, and without eternal life. Uh, certainly, God had you and all uh, all people in mind as your head is bowed and your eyes are closed. And I would ask you to pray, please, for the words that I'm going to speak, because I'm going to speak words out of the Scripture. I'm not here to tell anybody, I can convince anybody that they need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But I know what will, and that is the Scripture, because it tells us all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So right where you are, whatever you might be doing, you can simply tell God the Father, I am believing on God the Son and on the promise of the Word you will be saved. Once more, you don't have to walk an aisle. You don't have to tell God, I'm not going to do it anymore. You don't have to uh, do anything except believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't have to promise Him you're not going to do something again uh, because that's not in your power. But I'll tell you what is in your power, a simple act of positive volition. Father, I am believing on God the Son. Father, I am believing on God the Son and on that promise you will be saved. Why? Because it's all based upon what He did, not what you're doing. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He came unto His own and His own received Him not, but as many as received Him. To them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them who believe on His name. For by grace are you saved through faith in that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And uh, He became what He was, the Deliverer. The Christ. He was full of doctrine and he was full of grace. So believe on the Lord Jesus Christ right now. Do it for yourself, not for me. No, do it for yourself. One day you're going to meet God. And you want to meet him as a son of God. Not as an alien. So I'm going to pause for just a moment and give you an opportunity to do just that. And then I'm going to close by giving our benediction. Father, we're grateful for the privilege of being able to worship in this great country of ours. I pray for our country, Father. We pray for our country. And we know you've got it all under control. Uh, as the song says, 
He's got everything under control. So thank you, thank you, thank you for the opportunity to come together and worship. And I would ask that God the Holy Spirit would take that which I have presented, make it real, in order that we might grow in your wonderful grace and become more like our Lord and Savior, even Jesus the Christ. Amen. Don't forget your flowers.